I have a dream of building an app that helps folks make wise choices when they're about to accept a new job. My dream app would let you see the churn rate on the leadership team on the campus you're considering joining. And when I told a friend about this idea and explained why I think it's so important for women to know things like, how many people has my potential new boss actually gone through in this position in the last five years? And what sorts of jobs do those folks take after they leave? Do they retire? Do they take lateral moves? Were they mentored into promotions? And I'm explaining all this to my friend and he burst out laughing and he said, girl, you are on a serious vendetta here. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then, oh yeah, maybe a little bit. In that moment, I experienced a tiny bit of dissonance because I am on fire with my commitment to help women be amazing leaders while leading balanced and joyful lives. And I am fueled by rage at the ways lots of leaders, particularly white women leaders, but you know, white men do this too, punish other women for being ambitious and competent and compassionate, the very things that make for a good leader. So I thought in today's episode, I would talk a little bit about that dissonance and share more about what I do and why I do it. So here we go. Welcome to episode 34, This Is Not a Vendetta, (laughs) or is it? Hello, my name is Carol Shabrias, and I am obsessed with all things related to women leading in higher ed. We've all been through it, told we're too vocal or too mousy, too compassionate or too bossy. We all have had to find our way as we lead within a system that historically gives its accolades and promotions to straight white men. Meanwhile, women from all backgrounds are doing exceptional work, teaching, mentoring, facilitating, guiding, and leading. And increasingly, we're finding and sharing ways to lead that allow us to integrate the demands of our rich, varied lives so that we and those we love and those we lead can thrive. Women are leading higher ed at all levels, with big hearts and big brains. I'm here to share our stories, as well as practical advice for deepening and extending your own leadership practice. I'm so glad you're here listening to the Uplift Podcast. Okay, so I want to start this by saying I know and admire many, many fantastic leaders in higher ed. Some are men, many are women, a few are presidents, but most have other roles. The people I admire show us they model how to lead with integrity, humility, and curiosity. Through their leadership behaviors, they've shown me how to speak my truths, how to stand by my values, how to collaborate across functions and disciplines, and importantly, how to treat people well enough that those people will in turn help me accomplish hard things because they believe in my vision and I've earned their trust. So those people, those are the leaders who inspired the idea for me of leading with your big brain and your big heart which is a phrase I love using on social media. 
I first saw this with Brad Hughes, the longtime, now retired director of the Writing Center at UW-Madison. Brad showed me it was possible to manage a large team of folks by treating them as intelligent colleagues, while balancing their need to learn and make mistakes with their need to be autonomous individuals. I sang Brad's praises back in episode 11. I will sing Brad's praises until the day I die. And if you're a Brad fan and you haven't listened yet, check out episode 11 when we're done here. But I've seen these characteristics in many other leaders since I first met Brad. One of the most inspiring campus leaders I know is David Wheaton, who is a retired CFO from McAllister College. David was always gracious and curious. And he was always really interested in connecting the dots between the institution's mission to educate and the academic work of a college and the institution's financial abilities. Two of the women who have taught me the most through their examples are provosts turned college presidents. One is Barbara Farley, who is currently president at Illinois College, and the other is Kathy Murray, who recently retired as president at Whitman College. And of course, there's Nicola Pitchford, the president of Dominican University in California, who shared her views on educating for democracy and the entanglement of all things back in episode 19. All of these leaders helped shape me in the early and middle parts of my academic career. When I look back on those years, I feel really fortunate to have had exceptional leaders in my orbit who helped me develop excellent habits and people-centered leadership practices. Because that's what we do as leaders, right? We see what works by watching others. We adopt principles for ourselves. We refine our practice. We continually strive to get better. It's part of what makes leading so challenging and so very rewarding. I am immensely grateful to have learned early on from leaders who had big brains and big hearts. And during that time, as I coached and mentored others, I always had that in mind, that what we're really doing when we lead is honing our own craft by adapting and refining the best of what we see around us. But then something shifted a little. I don't know if the shift came because of how long I'd been an administrator or because I was climbing the traditional administrative ranks through promotions maybe a bit of both, but things changed. And a few years ago, I found myself working with folks primarily at the cabinet level whose leadership I didn't admire, whose practices I questioned and worried over, whose ethics were hmm, wanting, who treated people poorly, who, when push came to shove, would tell outright lies, sometimes straight up to my face. And this was new to me. I'd seen arrogance before and lack of humility and lack of consideration for other people and the various aspects of their identities and their lives, but I'd never really seen leaders habitually dissemble or habitually shame, blame, and humiliate people or regularly chew people up and spit them out simply because they could. I worked for someone who was known for saying, I can do this. I'm the president. So... My first experience with leadership like this, I wrote off because I had way more evidence that leaders were awesome. So I figured this person was an anomaly. The second experience, I didn't write off. And in fact, I pushed back and I pushed back pretty hard. I didn't push back immediately, but I did start pushing back and I started pushing back harder and it got ugly and it landed in court. You can find that on Google if you want to read about it. I also thought that was an anomaly. Surely this kind of nonsense doesn't happen on the regular, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> the third experience I saw coming. I will admit I was a little slow to see the red flags, but this time I trusted someone for what they had said and they very quickly showed that their words and actions didn't match and I knew where this was going and it went there. So, you know, yay me, I learned my lesson eventually. One of these leaders was a man. The rest were women. All of them are white. So basically what this means is I have spent my recent time as a campus leader surrounded by white leaders, mostly, but not all of them, but mostly white women leaders who lead through fear, deception, and intimidation. Or if they're less calculating, they lead through avoidance, neglect, and incompetence. And we're all familiar with living examples of white male mediocrity, so articulately rendered in Ijoma Oluo's book, Mediocre, and often experienced in professional settings as white guys falling up. I've seen that too. One of the worst parts about all this, though, to me, is that not only do these people keep their jobs, jobs which typically pay them somewhere between a quarter and a half million dollars a year, they also keep getting hired, even with their track records. They keep getting hired. Their friends and networks help them land new positions when they need it. So even though they have track records of cruelty, of intentionally inflicting pain, of deception, of lying, of outright lies, of choosing to hurt people, they stay in higher ed. Higher ed perpetuates this. I have at times railed at the universe for my recent stretch of bad luck in bosses. So you can, you can see why I want that app, right? <laughs> I have literally, I have done this. Honestly, I have done this. I have stood outside, shaking my fist at the heavens and screamed at the universe, what possible lesson are you trying to teach me that I haven't learned already? Ah! It took me a while, but I realized the lesson was not for me. The lesson is that I'm here to help others. And that is where my fire comes from. I went through hell so the universe could show me I had a job to do. That job is not working for mediocre white guys. It is not working for incompetent, lousy, or even, excuse my French, downright shitty leaders. That job is not even figuring out how to avoid bosses like that in the future since they're here and they don't appear to be going anywhere. They do a great job of promoting themselves and their friends and network do a great job at helping them move on when they finally get chased or pushed out. And higher ed, you know this as well as I do, embraces a culture of silence. So if we talk about the terrible leaders around us, we do it quietly, behind closed doors, over private lunches off campus, over drinks at happy hour. We don't talk about it where it matters, in public, during job searches, throughout campus interviews, when giving referrals, when recommending folks come work at our campus, because it's impolite. And if I'm being honest, it can be dangerous. And so weighing being rude or endangering our livelihood, we choose silence, which also then makes us complicit. This has been me. I have been complicit. I also know lots and lots of women who, when I talk about this, nod along as they recall their own experiences. You're probably doing it right now as you're listening, right? You're like, yeah, I've seen that. Some women even have their own war stories to tell. I have tried personally and with more than one leader to influence leadership by modeling different ways to lead. And you know what? It has never worked. And why would it? A leader who likes what she's got, the salary, the title, the perks, the attention, the free housing, the car, 
she's not motivated to quit doing the things that got her all that in the first place. But I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it as long as it's true. In higher ed, we are surrounded by too much mediocre leadership, and we do not need more of the same. So I am done trying to influence or support or change or (laughs) even be near those folks. The women I can help, women just like you, women who want to lead with their hearts and their heads, women who understand that people are at the heart of every organization, women who know that taking care of your people is the only thing that will bring lasting success to your institution. It is the only way to succeed as a leader. It is the only way to get meaningful work done. Also, caring for your team is the best way to bring joy to your days as a leader. I mean, think about it. Do you want to be surrounded by people you don't care about and who are angry with you, rightfully so? Or do you want to spend your days surrounded by people you like and you trust, and in return who like and trust you, and together you do amazing shit, right? I know that's what you want. I know that's what you're after. So I feel like I finally understand the challenge the universe has so (sighs) bluntly presented me with, and I gladly accept the challenge. The challenge I accept is ridding higher ed of bad leadership by filling the leadership pipeline with women who are awesome, women who are strong, resilient, compassionate, and strategic. Women who want to use all of those gifts as they advance in their careers, as they influence other people, as they make their campuses better place. That does not happen by accident. It takes strategies, tools, habits, and honestly, a community of other women like you to turn those good intentions into exceptional leadership practices. And that is what I'm here to help with. So everything you'll hear on this podcast is designed to support your leadership growth. And in that spirit, I have both a request and an announcement. My request is that you share with me your dreams for leadership development. What do you want to learn? What do you want to get better at? What would help you the most? What would make your life easier if you knew how to do it? So if you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll find a link to a brief survey. The survey is called Leadership Lessons I'm Looking For. It's a super short survey. Don't let the long title mislead you. It's easy to fill out. It'll just take you a few minutes. It asks a couple questions that will help me develop content and support and material and find future podcast guests, all to address the topics that matter most to you. Okay, so head to the show notes, click on leadership lessons I'm looking for, and just let me know what would help you the most. My announcement is that tomorrow... Enrollment opens for my leadership course, Leading with Clarity. Leading with Clarity is the only leadership course designed specifically to teach women in higher ed how to lead by connecting the dots between your personal priorities, your planning, and the ways you lead your people. I'll teach you three different frameworks, one in each of those areas, and you will learn to personalize, adapt, and refine each framework as you design the leadership practice of your dreams. The hybrid course lasts eight weeks, and during that time, you'll do some independent learning, you can do it on your own schedule, and you'll also have the opportunity to gather weekly and live sessions for conversation with me and other course participants. You can take the course with colleagues, and I'll give you a discount for enrolling as a team, and that way you can work through the materials together. 
You can also opt into accountability pods with other course participants from other institutions, and that'll give you the chance to set up your own time to meet, work together, and support each other as you learn and practice and seek feedback. You can enroll in two different ways. The essentials course is everything I just described to you. Eight weeks of self-paced learning with time to apply what you're learning, time to meet life with others, and getting feedback on what you're developing. You can also enroll at the VIP level, which includes all of that, plus small select group sessions with me so we can focus on your precise questions, one individual consultation with me for coaching on a topic of your choice related to the course material or not, it's entirely up to you, and a private texting channel for your small VIP cohort so that you all can stay tightly connected. The VIP level gives you a way to deepen and accelerate your learning by increasing the personalization and deepening the focus on things that matter most to you. I am particularly excited to share that I'm offering equity pricing options for this course, regardless of which level you enroll at. So first of all, I'm offering two full scholarships, totally 100% free registration, as well as discounts for folks working at institutions that serve historically excluded communities and discounts for early career professionals. And you get to decide if you're early career. Maybe you're still a grad student. Maybe you're fresh out of college in your first job on a campus. Maybe you're in your first leadership role, but you've been a faculty member for 20 years. You decide if you're an early career professional in terms of your leadership. Let me know, and you're eligible for the discount. So you can learn more about this course on the website, www.theclariogroup.com forward slash leading with clarity, all one word. Registration opens tomorrow, Tuesday, January 24th, and class starts the first week of February. So grab your spot early. All right, friends, that's it for this week. Now that you've learned a little bit about the fire that fuels me, please head over to the quick survey, leadership lessons I'm looking for, and let me know how I can help you the most. And then register for the course, Leading with Clarity. I can't wait to see you in class. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, will you do me a solid and leave me a review? Reviews are some of the best ways for the algorithm to know how to make this show visible to more folks. So whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, take a moment, would you? Open the app, head to the show page for The Uplift, and scroll down to the reviews section. Leaving a review will not only help more women find the show, it will also help me know what you like and what you want more of. Thanks so much. Meanwhile, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of The Uplift, the podcast dedicated to elevating and amplifying women's leadership in higher education. Take a moment to follow. You can find me over on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find all previous episodes with transcript, show notes, and links at my website, www.theclariogroup.com. And hey, I see you with your phone open. Come connect with me on social. You can follow The Clario Group on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can also just follow me and you'll see all The Clario Group content. And once you've followed, please drop me a DM to say hi. I'd like to know you're there. All right, that's it. I will see you next week, same time, same place, for the next episode of The Uplift. Bye for now.